Yeah, welcome back to Think Tech. I'm Jay Fidel. This is View from the North, the North being mostly Canada. And uh, we're going to talk to our Canadian friend of many years, Dr. Ken Rogers. We're going to talk about inflation today. Does inflation in the U.S. affect inflation in Canada and elsewhere? We'll be right back to do just that. Welcome to the show, Ken. It's so nice to have you here. Um, I wanted to, you know, to say that uh, I don't know too many people who are as educated in the area of macro finance, uh, macro economy, as you are. You have graduate degrees all over the lot in that area. So I'm happy to talk to you. Well, many of those degrees are from many years ago. So, you know, there's updated technology and uh, other means by which you, um, you certainly would have an outdated bit of knowledge. Oh, well, we'll see about that. Anyway, so here we have inflation in the U.S. As it seems to be, you know, modifying, and we should talk about how the Fed can affect and does affect inflation. Uh, is the Fed successful these days? I believe the uh, Fed is um, successful because they you have to start off with uh, what caused the burst of inflation that we have now. And, and it really started back in 2008, where the there was extremely low interest rates and, and easy money for a long period of time. And, and you know, that uh, easy money doesn't flow to the public evenly. Uh, and so you had uh, people with uh, single family homes, uh, you know, gaining wealth uh, at a pretty good pace and, uh, and able to upgrade their housing. And uh, similarly, the very wealthy players and professionals could buy common stocks, you know, and so you had a, a great increase in the value of assets between, you know, in the last 10 years. Um, well, then when you get COVID and suddenly the, you know, Federal Reserve opened the floodgates to, and they, uh, similarly, the um, uh, Congress decided to really spend a lot of money to try to, you know, mitigate the effects of the, of COVID while well, the combination of, um, of the prior 10 years and all of that stimulus you know, created, um, you know, the current inflation, uh, the, uh, you know, some of the inflation, uh, you, let's say you have three causes of inflation, you know, what is um, uh, demand pull. So during COVID, you had um, people sitting at home playing with video games. And so that uh, you, Nintendo couldn't produce enough video sets. And used Nintendo sets were selling for about three times as much a few months into the uh, COVID period as, um, as they were before. And, and so that huge increase in the price of, of Nintendo was kind of a demand pull type of inflation. Well, the Federal Reserve providing easy money and um, and the um, U.S. Congress pumping money out to society 
certainly that created a lot of demand pull for expenditures. You know, um, you know you've got ultra, two other types of causes of inflation. One is called uh, uh, cost uh, cost push. Well, um, if you have a um, a strike of the federal government civil servants, which we had in Canada, you know, about uh, three weeks ago, it started and lasted for a couple of weeks, and and the government gave them a twelve uh, percent increase in wages spread over three years, plus a a cash bonus to get back to work. Um, well, when you take, you know, twelve percent over three years, that's four percent a year. Uh, I mean, my simple mathematics. But uh, if you're trying to say the target is to have two percent inflation, well, you know, there there's a um, a major difference. You're dealing with a, you know, a cost push. The cost being the wages, and you know wages of um, government employees, you know, has a habit of spreading to other parts of the society. So if everybody got a a, a raise of 4% when the target inflation was to be 2%, well, then you're going to have trouble keeping inflation at two. Um, you know, and, and and then that kind of leads to the uh, to the third cause of inflation, uh, and that's um, expectations. And that's the problem in currently in uh, Argentina in particular, but you got several other countries in the world where the inflation was sufficient that the public decided that. Uh, that there was just going to be the price of everything tomorrow was going to be higher than it is today. You know, if they believe the future prices will be higher, they change all their habits. They immediately spend their cash faster. Well, that spending compounds the inflation. Well, that means if the media tells us as, as a regular matter every single day that we're likely to have inflation because there's too much money in the system, um, because of all these things the government might have done or did during the COVID period, um, and then we get to expect that inflation, and that enhances the existing inflation. So perhaps you could say the more you talk about it, the more expectation you get, right? Pretty well. Uh, well, that was part of where the uh, Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada, Bank of England, the European Union did a great job of saying, um, you know, for example, when Jerome Powell was um, talking about how did they decide what they were doing, you know, it was pretty strong to say this may not be the end of it. We're going to, you know, we're going to keep uh, money tight for the whole rest of the year. We may even bump it up even further, you know, and that uh, jawboning is uh, designed to. Uh, uh, really try to convince everybody to not have expectations that there will be inflation, you know, that the Fed will stomp on it and succeed in eliminating the inflation. Yeah, he's, he'd be one source of uh, information to the public, but uh, he's not the only source. And there's, you know, there's the 
of the business writers, the opinion writers, the people on the media, and what they say counts. And I mean, some people, what, what they say in the media counts more than what Jerome Powell says. No? That's correct, because, you know, really, they're, what's on social media seems to be listened to more than uh, any newscast or any of the major newspapers like Washington Post or New York Times. Uh, you know, not too many people read those anymore. If I, if I have these three factors in play, Ken, in other words, um, greater demand, greater money into the system from government or otherwise, uh, and, and expectations are that there will be inflation. The public feels, uh, the society feels there will be inflation. If I have all those things running and I, mm, and I want to um, counteract them, I suppose what I do is, uh, what do I do? I increase the rate of interest and that uh, hopefully will stabilize the inflation. Well, in, increasing interest, you know, affects major parts of the economy, in particular housing, and housing is the largest part of of the consumer price index or consumer expenditures. Uh, so that, uh, but that doesn't affect everybody evenly, you know, and and so you, you know, but. Um, you also have things like in the news talks about supply chain problems. You know, those are really, you know, cost push type of inflation. So if you're a federal government, if all levels of government reduce their spending, you know, that will reduce inflation. If they increase their spending, if they're running at deficits, that will increase inflation you know in interest rates if they're increased that will reduce inflation if interest rate if money is really cheap and and abundant that will tend to increase inflation so suppose the fed makes a mistake goes the wrong way miscalculates where we're all going on this uh, fails to do the right thing at the right time and we well, have inflation his, such well, as in story. argentina or in germany after world war one and we have runaway inflation. Um, what happens to the value of the currency, and what happens to the society, the economy? Well, it, coming back to your point, what if the Fed, uh, you know, doesn't uh, fine tune it perfectly? You know, uh, it, uh, I'm e exaggerating the way you said that. However, historically, one of uh, the United States' most famous economists, Milton Friedman. You know, he always wrote articles that the Fed has, had screwed it up every time there was a recession. You know, that they had put the brakes on too hard. They didn't ease it soon enough. They, you know, you know that, that a mechanical handling of the money supply would be better than these people attempting to use their judgment to do it. Uh, however, you know, you're correct conceptually that, uh, you know, that the, they try to um, reduce demand, like increase interest rates until demand is reduced, but they don't wish to create a whole bunch of unemployment unnecessarily. While right now, you know, there's a, um, 
the labor markets are such that there's very little unemployment, that despite the fact that the Fed has been very aggressive in in raising interest rates, uh, they have not caused a bunch of unemployment yet. You know, it's still, you know, the jury's still out and the, and the whole game's not over, but, uh, but certainly I think that they're doing a pretty admirable job. And, and each of the central banks, uh, you know, Australia, the United Kingdom and Canada are all acting fairly much in unison the you know European Union and Japan uh you know they're they all have pursued tight money they all had governments that spent a lot of money during covid to increase demand everybody suffered from covid related supply chain problems you know and and now the world's trying to make a whole bunch of adjustments in supply chain you know for example who do you get your oil from who do you get your natural gas from you know and you got you know clever governments you know such as norway uh norway is um blessed with a lot of oil and gas and uh, and they're just pumping it out as fast as they can uh saying you know that you know they ne everybody needs the energy you know at the same time uh, norway is uh, you know using a bunch of that money to increase their uh, efforts on climate control or you know the climate change problems you know they're ahead of most countries in the world in their efforts to do uh, deal with climate change where canada is is really stupid you know our federal government policy and in, in that same regard you know we're blessed with a phenomenal amount of of oil and natural gas uh, and uh, and today we have absolutely no natural gas from canada is being exported in the form of um, of LNG, mm -hmm. you know, from Canada. A bunch of Canadian gas is being shipped to the U.S., and the U.S. is in turn, you know, pretty soon will be the largest exporter of liquid natural gas. But you know, a bunch of it's Canadian. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, that, you know, it leads to the question of how 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 are we linked? Are we are we linked? Uh, you know, uh, completely to inflation in the U.S. and, for that matter, the success of the economy in the U.S. and and Canada. I mean, you suggest that there's a relationship simply because you know our economies are so heavily linked. Um, but is it is it um, you know one on one? Is it uh, is it the kind of linkage that we can rely on, or uh, could it change? Yeah, when you when you're dealing with um, uh, trade items uh the united states um is subject to lobbies that cause illogical results you know uh, one of the best examples between canada and the us is softwood lumber you know the us is suffering right now from you know major push in inflation in the housing industry uh, you know, and it's the cost of the good of materials that make up the house. Well, uh, previously, you know, Canada exported to the United States a way more softwood lumber than they now do. 
and it's because of the uh, lobby interests that have have um, simply had the U.S. take a policy that was in the interest of those lobbyists rather than the public good in the U.S. So if you have rational public policy on both sides of the border, you're likely to have a a more um, a more obvious linkage. Um, but if you have uh, irrational policies on one side of the border but not the other, um, then you are likely to lose that linkage. All right. Well, you you tend to have the same linkage except it goes in jerks. Mm. You know, and they're always jerks caused by American lobby. <laughs> Are we? Are you saying that that uh, the American lobbies, the American Congress, is not as rational as the Canadian lobbies in Congress, Parliament? Oh, in regard to trade between the two countries, that's correct. Mm-hmm. As a generalization, though, that is not correct. <laughs> I mean, there's outright stupidity in both places at times, such as uh, there is no no way that any reasonable person could explain uh, McCarthy in the, the Republican position to not raise the debt ceiling. Well, let's, let's get to that. You know, one thing you said a little while ago was that uh, the world, and I guess that most mostly is the, you know, the, the first world, if you will, and that is Europe and uh, Asia, and uh, and U.S. and Canada um, are really um, talk, talking to each other, working with each other. Uh, they have the same larger um, problem, economic and inflation problems, and at least there's some linkage, some linkage between all of those places. Nobody wants to be uh, high inflation, or, uh, you know, more than the other guy, so they work together. And the question, you know, the question I put to you is. Uh, here we are uh, on a cliff with McCarthy and the debt ceiling and the possibility of a default by the United States. Uh, what what effect does that have on the global economy and on inflation here and elsewhere? I know that's a hard question. Um, it's yet to be seen. Mm. You know, it, it really is... Um, you know, when, uh, you know, Greece was going to default on its uh, debt, you know, before they were bailed out by the European Union or so on, what happened was, uh, you know, Greece had difficulty borrowing any money from anybody and the cost of it went up, you know. So one would say, you know, if the U.S.'s uh, credit is damaged, nobody wants to buy U.S. currencies, so where the government is running at a deficit, how do you finance the deficit? And you have you know, old debt, which uh, it, it tends to roll over. So, you know, new people need to buy those um, U.S. government securities. When you talk about Greece, you know, it's an interesting Example in the sense that uh, the EU, a number of countries in the EU, bailed Greece out, and if they hadn't done that, you know, there would have been really terrible results. Um, so in the U.S., if well, the Congress, terrible anyhow, 
it ended up yeah, a terrible true. result <laughs> anyhow. And, and, and the bailouts had the conditions that uh, Greece's economy sucks right now, still is a leftover from that mess. Okay, but theoretically, um, the EU was asked to bail them out, could have bailed them out perhaps with fewer conditions in a more kindly way, and that would have helped. That was the idea. In the case of the U.S., um, if we don't find a solution, we wind up not paying our bills. Um, what happens to do we? Is there a bailout out there? I mean, is the EU going to help us? Is anybody else going to help us, or are well, we going to suffer it alone? The key factor is who are the owners of the U.S. debt, and mo you know most of it is owned by American citizens. But an awful lot of it is owned um, by other countries in the world holding their the currencies to handle international trade transactions. You know, the U.S. dollar is what is called a reserve currency, and it is the basis for most international trade. So other countries hold a stock of U.S. dollars. Well. If I were China and Russia and I'm trying to give the United States a kick, I would certainly be dumping all of my U.S. dollars, you know, and, and really make the U.S. suffer in terms of, uh, you know, being unable to borrow at a reasonable price, you know, high interest, you know, interest rate go way up and, you know, be you know, extremely disruptive. Yeah, so as a result, um, it would be harder for us to sell our paper on the international market. And if we couldn't sell our paper on the international market, what, we'd have to increase in interest rates on, uh, on the international market to make our paper more attractive? Yeah, well, the Federal Reserve could uh, print a bunch of money and buy the debt. Hmm. What, about, what would happen to inflation? Uh, really if, if pump the, up a lot of inflation, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because you, yeah, it's, it's the, your three rules of inflation. You have all this new money dropping into the system, and that, yeah. by definition, that would increase inflation. That would be really something. And, yeah, and that was a definition of inflation in in you know first year economics books is too much money chasing too few goods. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that would do that. You know, that would exaggerate the mess so we you know we've been worrying about the reserve currency status of the american dollar for a long time and that one day you know people who are not necessarily our friends would establish another currency another reserve currency um and and displace the united states dollar um any thoughts about what would what would happen if they were how could they do that now how could they be opportunistic uh you know, as against the McCarthy program and the failure to raise the debt ceiling. And if they if they were successful in in changing the reserve currency, how, how would it affect our our, our fiscal you know, uh, health and policy and our economy? Um, well, the key players in, in that don't care. Mm. You know what happened, if anything, they wish the U.S. Uh, uh, have the worst of effects, you know, but, you know, the um, uh, the U.S. dollar, you know, really has worked well as a basis for 
almost all trade. But, you know, a huge percentage of the countries in the world just don't like that. You know, just it's it's partly psychological. It's partly um, because how the U.S. deals with them on trade, you know, because they deal uh, um, where I use the term in U.S. Canadian trade is is much better than between most countries of the world. But it, it has built in that the U.S. is a bully every so often. You know, while vis-a-vis the rest of the world, U.S. treats them all worse than they do Canada. Does that mean that if there was a problem with, um, you know, the, the debt ceiling, and uh, if, oh, God forbid, uh, the U.S. lost uh, its corner on the reserve currency, um, that it, it would have a very negative effect in the U.S. and for the U.S., and there'd be a lot of, you know, anti-U.S. countries out there that would be clapping their hands. but. How would that affect Canada? Would Canada be able to escape, you know, uh, the fallout um, that would, you know, fall over the United States in that case? Oh, the European Union, um, you know, the G7, let's call it, those nations would continue to use the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. But it's not a hypothetical question because the, the brick, like, B-R-I-C-S, you know, being uh, Brazil, Russia, you know, uh, India, China, and South Africa. They're meeting in South Africa sometime in the next month. Um, And they have invited, you know, about 20 other fairly significant countries, you know, the ones whose economies are, you know, they're not G7, like India is, but they're not far off, like, uh, you know, Indonesia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, you know, in those scale of countries, um, you know, are meeting and part of their schedule is to discuss, you know, can they create a substitute for uh, the transactions between them? that are not based on something other than the U.S. dollar. You know, so when they have trade, you know, it's in a, you know, a Zingo or whatever they want to call a new currency. Well, it could be the the Chinese uh, one, right? That would be a likely possibility, wouldn't it? Well, China's the biggest player in that group. But I don't think everybody else would would be that trusting. <laughs> See, I don't. I, you know, like in a sense, Brazil is is not unfriendly with the United States. Neither is India. You know, but they're trying to be. You know, a little more. What serves them best? You know, in India, you know. Right now, you know, they'll be friendly with Russia because they need an awful lot of energy and Russia can sell them their energy at a discount. So let let me throw some other, you know, events into the hopper here. Um, There's so many events that could be disruptive and could create, um, you know, disruptions in the American American economy and and thus have some effect on Canada and uh, for that matter on Europe and parts of Asia. 
But let me throw some possibilities. For example, we have we, we have this extraordinary rush to AI, um, where people are going to lose jobs, uh, certain professions are going to go away, where people in service industries um, will be able to do things much more efficiently, and thus uh, not clear they'll be making the same amount of money. So this will you know reduce payrolls. Um, this will I- increase um, the payments made to uh, tech companies that develop AI. Um, this will change the way um, the economy works. Let me suggest that. So if that happens, I mean, how will AI affect the U.S. economy? And thus, how, how will it affect inflation going forward? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> you know, historically, um, increases in technology have ended up, you know, expanding employment in in new areas. You know, but as I see AI, it will tend to have a major effect on on areas that, that it never affected before. But in particular, manufacturing and transportation. You know, like if you get self driving vehicles. There's an awful lot of employment in that area that, um, you know, people will be out in the street. Well, what jobs will replace those? And as far as I can see, this will be the first time that that technology has resulted in perhaps fewer jobs and certainly jobs that don't pay anymore. But there are other things that could affect um, not only this country, but, you know, the the world. Um, for example, um, you know, we could have all kinds of fallout uh, in the in the migration of people in Europe, and for that matter, the migration of people across our southern border. Um, we could have, you know, we have political and geopolitical troubles hither and yon. And if we have a general destabilization uh, in one continent or another, um, you know, how would how would that affect? You think is there any way to anticipate how that would affect inflation in the U.S. or or the countries that the U.S. trades with? Uh, well, I tend to think that, that um, the AI and technology is going to be very deflationary. You know, like mm-hmm. it, its effect, uh, you know, it, it if you increase the efficiency of things, you should be reducing the cost of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and so, you know, self-driving vehicles, you know, certainly if you stood back and said, how much money would you save by not having to own two vehicles and simply taking a self-driving cab here and there? You know, and and that'd be a substantial saving in in your costs. Uh, now, just because there won't be a General Motors anymore, <laughs> you know, and all of those jobs, um, you know, and Tesla will be manufacturing in China or somewhere. But key to AI, in in my mind, is who has the lead in AI. You know, is certainly I think that that the United States uh, is um, going to be pushed to keep up with China. 
you know, and if China takes over Taiwan, you know, and in a lot of ways, the main reason why they may not attack Taiwan is because Taiwan produces most of the world's computer chips that really count. Mm. You know, and, and if you if you blow up <laughs> that the factories that, that uh, produce those or, you, you know, you you're fighting the the people, you know, that, uh, you know, is going to create a major mess. Well, you know, what about um, the mig the migrant problem in, in Europe and um, Africa? Uh, in in uh, the, uh, the Middle East, there, there are people moving um, by hundreds of thousands or even millions. There are people who are uh, displaced uh, all, all through that part of the world. Um, and that displacement, uh, any displacement anywhere in the world, has got to have a huge effect on the economy. And I just wonder what effect it would have, is likely to have, on, on inflation for um, the rest of us. Well, um, you know, in, in Canada is a little cushioned in that regard because it's very hard for somebody to walk across the border, mm. you know, because the only border is with the U.S. Now we've had a ton of people that actually have come all the way from, you know, whether it's Haiti, Venezuela, Peru or whatever, the people that the U.S. complains or certainly the Republicans do. There's too many of them at your southern border. An awful lot of them are making it up to New York State to try to get across the Canadian border, um, you know, where they just happen to have changed the rules with that. Uh, you know, so um, Canada doesn't really have that problem in that regard, but, but Canada's out uh, trying to get a greater number of immigrants than they've ever had. Um, but when you're sitting in an isolated spot like Canada or Australia are, um, then you can cherry pick among the migrants. You know, we, we have, um, you know, if you take India or Pakistan as examples of places where you have millions of people would like to move from India or Pakistan to any of, you know, Britain, Canada, the U.S., Australia, New Zealand. You know, they'd even take, you know, most of Europe, uh, even if the language is not English. You know, where in India they speak English. Well, um if Canada's advertising, you know, if you have a, you know, a, a college degree in computer science, uh, we'll make it easy for you to come to Canada. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, well yeah, one other thing that, that we, we probably don't have time to discuss, but maybe you have a quick thought about it, is climate change. Um, so you see these wildfires, you see floods and droughts, you see um, large um, climatic shifts. Um, really, everywhere in the world is uh, is subject to that. And um, if if I have to spend money putting out fires, literally, if if I have to spend money re rerouting, you know, dealing with floods and droughts and rerouting water for agriculture, I'm, I'm spending a lot of money, am I not? And and the question is whether the the general um, rule that you articulated earlier, 
But if you spend a lot of money, then you have inflation. So if I have what do you want to call a climactic disruption, or for that matter, spending money on trying to ameliorate climate change, um, is that is, is that create inflation? Can I look forward to an inflationary spiral because it will catch up with us? Uh, it varies as to how that's done. I mean, if you're to take the mess on on Florida, the, the, where it was south of Tampa, where all of those communities were just washed right out. Now, rebuilding those, you know, would you call that inflationary? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be demand for building materials and demand for construction labor, and, and the costs to rebuild may be higher than they would have been if the flood had never happened and there was only going to be a couple of houses built, you know, that, but, um, uh, you know, that's a, an isolated area that, you know, doesn't have any effect on the price of, uh, of, of most things in Portland, Oregon. You know, what, what I get is that uh, these isolated areas may increase and they may be in more places than we might expect that, that we have had historically. Um, you know, happened even over the past few years. And, well, we're and... having we're having that right now in Western Canada. We have a phenomenal number of um, forest fires in in North Central Alberta. And now Alberta is about the same size as Texas, and about half of it is 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 subject to major fires right now. And um, in fact, I think there's about um, 10% of the oil industry has been shut down <laughs> because of the fires that are nearby. Uh, and similarly, in British Columbia, you know, we had um, uh, an awful lot of um, uh, sent to us from Hawaii, you know, the moisture over the winter. And it, so in the mountains, we had phenomenal snowpack. You know, we had a wonderful ski season, but now the snow is melting, and and when it rains, it's coming too fast, and so we have floods in in a bunch of areas in British Columbia right now. Well, that's that's the kind of thing I mean. This kind of uh, climactic change. On the one hand, you spend more money, and on the other hand, where does that come from? That money, um, well, there's I mean, no there's no great fund. And I, what I would like to do, Ken, is is continue this discussion about um, you know where climate change has an effect, whether the effect different in different parts of the world, at least for now, and the economic effect and the inflationary effect is different. We're going to have to go now because we're out of time, and there'll be another show here soon. Um, but I really enjoyed this discussion. I learned a lot, uh, more than I knew before, for sure. Thank you so much, Dr. Ken Rogers, the retired businessman in Kelowna, Canada. Uh, helping us understand these macroeconomic issues that connect us with Canada and the rest of the world. Thank you so much, Ken. Yeah, sure. We got off off of inflation in a bit, but uh, I enjoyed the diversions. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, 
please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo. Thank you.